0: Welcome to Tree Talking Time, where we talk all things tree dogs. From the smallest fights to the largest hounds, drink squirrels to bears and everything in between. And from time to time, we might even run a little fast game. How you doing, Rick?
1: I'm doing well. How are you? I'm all right. Good, good. I'm glad we finally got to talk. <laughs> Definitely.
0: I'm looking forward to it, because like I said, being a leopard, I don't know, fancier myself. Obviously, he's a very critical part of the leopard history.
1: Right, right. Yeah. So,
0: definitely uh, looking forward to kind of digging into some of what you remember growing up.
1: Well, I'm glad to help any way I can. I, uh, I was there for nearly all of it. <laughs> I don't, you know, there are a lot of times that he, uh, you know, had adventures that I was not a part of, but he'd come home and talk about mm-hmm. things. And I, you know, <laughs> he he used to spend back before there was an internet, you know, people just called. Yeah. And uh, you know, he would since there was only one phone in the house, you know, we had to sit there and listen to his side of the conversation. <laughs> so some of that stuff sticks with you, you know. Yeah. And of course I I fed the dogs and wormed puppies and vaccinated them and shipped them and built dog crates for years and years. Yeah, I bet you did. When I was a kid and, 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 you know, did a lot of hunting with him. Of course, I, when I got to be a teenager, I didn't, uh, you know, I sort of cut back on that because I was out with my friends, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, when I, the time I could walk in the woods up until I was 12, 13, 14 years old, I went with him pretty often. Cool.
0: Well, before we get too far into this, why don't you
1: introduce yourself? Well, my name is Rick McDuffie and, uh. I am uh, a retired now Presbyterian minister. I live in North Carolina and uh, I grew up uh, in, you know, my parents' home, of course, as most of us did. And Mm -hmm. I was, um, my dad was Richard McDuffie, the um, fairly well-known dog breeder and and, uh, writer. He wrote for Full Cry Magazine for many years. He Yes. Had columns columns under several titles, but uh he had one called Breeding for Results, which was kind of a genetics thing, and mm-hmm. then he wrote a leopard tree dog muse, you know, early on. And uh then he, I remember he had one called McDuffie's Musings. <laughs> so I think it just depended on what he had on his mind, but the yeah. the Walkers were glad to hear, you know, accept his submissions in most cases. I guess all cases. Yeah. That is Estelle Walker, uh, you know, was the publisher. Okay. For full cry for many years.
2: Gotcha. Actually, uh, I think
1: uh, they're out in Tennessee.
0: The uh, the June issue of Full Cry, as of right now, is slated to be the last. Um, I did see somewhere oh, that was... there is potentially a buyer, but ah, uh-huh. somebody commented something on Facebook somewhere, but <clears throat> well, wow. but uh, C and Publishing that currently or that has been producing it for a number of years is closing, so.
1: Oh, how about that? I did not know that. Well, like I said, that would be the end of an era.
0: That is hot off the presses here, like, you're not far behind the times. Yeah. You know, it...
1: Well, I, you know, with all the changes in social media, it's easy to understand, mm -hmm. you know, how they might have fallen on hard times.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. And I, I know the cost of printing, they said, weighed into it heavily so right right but no (laughs) i I just recently started writing for them so i mean i'm very sad to see it go because you know i just started writing an article about it and submitting it to full
1: cry so right well i've clipped all uh, you know not all the issues but i've clipped hundreds of my dad's articles out of he he saved the magazines and uh, Mm um we had a a trove of them up in, in, in his <laughs> attic, you know, when, when mom broke up housekeeping and, uh, she said, do you want these? And I said, yeah, but there were so even boxes and boxes of them because, you know, he liked to save stuff and,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and, and all of his articles were in there too. So rather than saving all the magazines, I just went in and clipped them. And so mm-hmm. I've got hundreds of them. That's awesome. And what I, 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 hopefully at some point I'm going to, you know, just for the family, uh, my intention is to scan those and put them on a USB drive for for the family. to, You know, have a piece of Dad. You know, to, so my children and grandchildren and, and their children can.
0: Well, if you ever get around to know that, something
1: about who he what, who he is and what he did, you know.
0: Yeah, if you ever get around to that, maybe send one of them copies up here.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> I would love to have all that. Just remind me. Remind me uh, in a year or two. <laughs> huh? I'm only semi-retired. I'm still working, and so that's something I'm going to do when I when I fully retire. <laughs> no, I understand.
0: <laughs> that's, that's quite the undertaking. as money article says he wrote.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's astounding that he did it so long. I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have done it that long, I'll tell you. <laughs> I mean, because well,
0: I know he re- wrote from the 60s all the way up into the 90s at least.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And, and in fact, after 2000, he was still right Okay. I wasn't um, sure. Yeah. He got to the point that uh, I guess most people, you know, who kept up with him, would know this because he mentioned it in some of his articles, but he got to the point that he couldn't get around in the woods. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he, he had back trouble and uh, you know, I don't know how it's different in different parts of the country, but down here we have, briars and vines and a lot of things in the woods and and stumps and cypress knees and a lot of things in the woods that that will trip you and, uh, and throw you down. And, uh, he just, he lost his confidence about navigating through the underbrush. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, we'd walk five or six, 10 miles (laughs) on a hunt, you know, because the dogs might get, you know, out of hearing and you just have to go try to find them. And uh, then you got to walk out, you know, if you went to the tree, you know, that sometimes is a long way. I used to hate it when the dogs were trees so far away that you could barely hear them. And um, I knew we were going to have to go in there because they wouldn't leave. until so you did. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we just, uh, we just, you know, buckle up and go. But, uh, you know, by the time he got into his, you know, 60s, he wasn't able to walk that kind of distance anymore.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I understand. So how old were you when your dad started the Leopard Project? I can't...
1: Rem- well, I I can't remember. Um, I remember when he got the Nimrod dog. Okay. And I must have been about the first grade. Okay. So um,
0: you were pretty young then.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was probably six years old. I'm 60. I'm about to turn 68. So... Mm-hmm. It was sixty-two years ago, and um, he went down to Texas. Uh, I've got somewhere. I've got uh, uh, him telling uh, not on a not an audio recording, but I, in, I've got it in his some of his writings. Yeah, um, he tells the story of who went with him. But they they went they were way down in South Texas, you know, to find um, these dogs that he had heard about. And no doubt. I mean, I'm just guessing that he read about. Some dogs down there in full cry, mm-hmm. you know that was the source of all tree dog news in those days, <laughs> yeah long <laughs> long, long
0: long before the internet,
1: yeah, yeah, and uh, so he went down there, and uh I remember uh him telling the story that he heard these uh puppies running, I think they were you know they were under a year old, but they were out you know after something uh and uh Nimrod was one of them, and I think they were. There was one or two other dogs he brought back from that trip, and uh, so I was, you know, we were living in Fayetteville, North Carolina at the time, and uh, he had some, you know, he had been interested in cur dogs, but um, he couldn't find the, he couldn't find what he considered to be an old time cur dog, you know. Okay. So, but he had a couple of Catahoulas, and he was doing some hog hunting, wild hog hunting back then. Yeah, and uh, they were. Um, I think he got the dogs from Tom Stodgill down in Texas. Yeah, uh, you may have heard his name. I have uh, the the Catahoulas. Mm-hmm. Um, but once he got Nimrod and Nimrod's littermates, uh, then you know we the thing headed in an entirely different direction, and he got rid of the Catahoulas. <laughs> you know they were kind of just you know uh, hog catch dogs anyway. Gotcha. You know, they weren't, they weren't really, they were not what he was looking for. And he just was experimenting at that point in time. But mm-hmm. I think once he, once he got a hold of Nimrod and started breeding on him, then, you know, he was off to the races at that point. Yep. Found what he was looking for.
0: Definitely. I've heard that. And, uh, I don't know if the name Richard Bailey sounds familiar to you or not.
1: Um, not right off. No,
0: Richard got a lot of dogs from your dad and uh, spoke with him fairly regularly. And, he, and actually Richard told me, he's like, because of the, you know, the uh, long distance, the cost of long distance, he goes, we wrote a lot of letters.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Dad used to get a lot of letters from people and they'd be six or seven pages long. Oh geez. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right. And long distance calling in those days was expensive. You're right.
0: Yeah. Well, cause cause Richard's from, uh, Upper Peninsula of Michigan and he's a bear Hunter up there and yeah So but uh Yeah you know down and To the the leopard den And then plus when your dad went up there for their uh Uh-huh so
1: Yeah I I remember dad you know He would dad would get in, in, In his truck And drive to Missouri Or Wisconsin Or Michigan and I remember him going up to Michigan on some hunt so He was probably up there with with uh, that guy Richard Bailey, yeah, Uh, or or to Texas. You know, he would do that like I I go to town to Walmart. (laughs) You know, yeah, I'd I'd call home and Mom would say, "Where?" I'd say, "Where's Dad?" And she'd say, "Well, he's on a bear hunt in Wisconsin." (laughs) (laughs) Just just another Tuesday. you You know, he he was always very clear with this about me. He he didn't enjoy killing animals. You know. He just wanted to work the dogs yeah, and that, that was his thing. So, but you know, he also was aware that if you didn't shoot the coon out, you know, the dogs, they needed to taste the kill, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, they would lose their motivation to, I guess it's not politically correct to say that kind of <laughs> stuff now, but, <laughs> you know, but yeah. the dogs would lose their motivation if, if you didn't, uh, you know, um, you had to shoot the coon out. So. And that's that's the only reason that Dad did. And and by the way, he he shot a uh, uh pistol most of the time. Okay. Uh, yeah, he he, yeah, he a had a shot. Uh, well, he was and he had, but it was a long. It was a target type Ruger with a long barrel. It looked like a German Luger,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it was uh, it was rifled and it was very accurate. Nice. In fact, I've got the gun now.
0: That's pretty cool. So, what else do you remember about growing up with all these
1: leopard dogs?
0: Any other dogs stand out besides Nimrod?
1: Well, uh, some of the, yeah, some of the better dogs that that he remembered, uh, you know, he hunted Nimrod a while, uh, and uh, I mean, he was an exceptional dog. But uh, I remember his veterinarian down in Fayetteville uh, said your fool is to keep hunting him because he can get run over, you know, by a car, or, yeah. you know, hurt in a in a fight, and uh, you know, you've lost your. Your uh, stud dog, your foundational stud dog. So, mm-hmm. Dad quit hunting him after maybe three years or so. I mean, I, if Dad was here, he'd say no, no, no. I, you know, you're remembering it wrong. But that's my <laughs> best memory of how it went. No, you know,
0: I, actually, that was kind of the reason I brought Richard up was he he told me that is that your dad had quit hunting Nimrod at a fairly young age once he realized how good of a stud dog he was.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because he just he just through remarkably consistent pups. And, um, and so anyway, yeah, he quit. I would, I would estimate that by the time Nimrod was five years old or so, he wasn't hunting him anymore. Yeah. Um, and, um, but so once he was out of the, um, once he was out of the, um, the hunting, um, lineup, the, I think that he had a litter mate named Cleopatra, um, female named Cleopatra, who was a litter mate to Nimrod, who's another one of those, um, dogs that dad bought back from, um, from Texas. Um, and so I remember him, he had a dog, um, who who became a, a good stud dog for him. He called him the gold nugget. And, uh, he was a he was a good dog, uh, but Dad had spent so much money on him. He had so many health problems when he was a puppy. Just weird off the wall stuff, okay. you know. That uh, he named him the Gold Nugget because <laughs> he had spent spent so many dollars on him trying to get him straightened out. But he he was a remarkably good dog. Um, I've and, seen uh, in some pedigrees. Oh, have
0: you? I, yeah, I went when I got my first leopards. I kind of dug deep into their... History and their pedigree, and I have some of their I can trace some of their those dogs all the way back to like Nimrod.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, you sent me some pictures of from Mm -hmm. uh look like a bench show or a hunt that you were attending, and um, I uh, one of those dogs looked remarkably like Nimrod to me, uh, Uh, you know, but I like the way they all looked, but uh, I don't remember. I think a woman maybe was, was holding that dog, showing him, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I just thought he looked very much like the dogs that I remember my dad having in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Um, he had, dad got a, um, a dog from out in, um, Indiana and he called him, who's your buck. Okay. And, um, uh, you may have heard, I, I imagine he's has shown up in a lot of, um, uh, pedigrees as well, but he, he was, uh, he had a big ball mouth and it was a big dog as I remember. With long legs, and uh, he was a mighty good dog for Dad. And uh, in terms of just a hunting dog, I, I, I I'm, I'm sure he bred him some, uh, mm-hmm. too. But he certainly was just uh, one of my Dad's favorite hunting dogs. And he'd stay on a tree, you know. I, I just, I used to hate for buck to tree because <laughs> I knew we were going to be there all night. Yeah, because you couldn't call him out and you'd have to go to him. And he had, you know, when you, when he traded, it was like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, (laughs) he sounded like a tuba down in the woods. Yeah.
0: (laughs) No, I actually think I've seen a stud ad for him. I have a couple of full cries from the sixties and I think there was a stud ad in one of them for him.
1: Yeah, and I don't know what I don't know what books uh, I couldn't tell you what his um, origins were. You know, mm. I mean, I'm sure he. It, you know, one of the things Dad did was that he tried to network with people who had other because you can't breed dogs by yourself. No, you know, you 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 got to cooperate. <laughs> you and you need new blood. You know, hybrid vigor when you're breeding. So, um, he would. And and uh, this had to happen through full cry. There was no other mechanism for it um, back then. But uh, he met. He, he tried to network with people around the country who had that type of dog. You know. Yeah. And he wasn't ever interested in having a you know being a hound man or breeding the hounds or you know he 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 was committed to finding you know the old time general purpose cur dog that existed before there were you know, plot registries and Walker registries and blue tick and red bone registries or whatever, you know, you might black and tan or whatever, you know. Um, but before there was any of that, there was the cur dog, yep. <laughs> you know. And so his his intention was always to try to find good dogs of that type to, to which he could breed, you know, Nimrod or and of course, you've got to go out and try to find some females, you know, to breed to your, to your stud.
0: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's what, honestly, that's one of the reasons I, I prefer a female because you can have the best stud dog in the world, but unless you go promote, promote him a lot and win a lot of night hunts or, or something, you know, people aren't lining up at your door unless you do all that. So all right. if you, you got a good female, you can, you can find a good male.
1: Right, yeah, makes sense to me. And so, of course, if you if you if you've got this stud dog and you're only breeding him to the females that you have, you know, even you and then you start line breeding on <laughs> yep. on him, you know, your gene pool gets pretty small, you know, in a hurry. And some line breeding is important, you know, mm-hmm. but you need to know when to quit it, you know, and, and bring in some new blood. I've heard
0: that your dad was like way ahead of his time as far as knowledge of genetics.
1: Well, he always tried to learn. Um, you know, he didn't have a, de- a college degree in genetics or anything, but he read constantly. I've got three books uh, uh, on how to breed dogs here in, in my house. That you know, when you know when Dad passed away, Mom said. If there's any of that dog stuff that you want, <laughs> you know, you're welcome to it. Yeah. And so I, I loaded it up and brought it here. And so, you know, but he was constantly, you know, it was a normal thing to be sitting in, you know, in a room with him when I was a child or a teenager and for him to have his nose in a, a book on dog genetics. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he was trying to actually learn the science of the thing and not just, you know say, well, I've got a good dog and you've got a good dog. Let's, let's, you know, let's breed mine to yours and see what happens. Yep. You know, he was, he had a much deeper understanding and uh, scientific understanding of what needed to be done mm-hmm. and was always trying to learn more. Like I said, somebody that was
0: just on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, uh, Alan Reeves, who had some camas curves from your, from your dad. Yeah. Sa- said yeah. he was light years ahead of everybody. Back then,
1: well, I appreciate that I, I think that's probably true. so I don't know anybody else that was writing any articles on genetics and <laughs> full cry. you know yeah. most of what I read in there were you know you know tree and flies news or something like that, <laughs> yeah, you know? and all of a sudden, here's something on you know chromosomes and uh you know uh how to breed better dogs.
0: Yep. Hey, I, I think we we all need those lessons though. There's, there's a lot of us that, uh,
1: could, could use some lessons in genetics. Yeah. So, I wish, he you know, I wish he was here to talk to you about this. I, he would enjoy talking about it.
0: Oh, I, I just, wish
1: I'll the, do the best I can.
0: That podcast were around back then. There's so many guys that would have been like your dad's age that, would have been around for the, the, you know, a lot of the early years of these different curs and hound breeds and, and the way things kind of have gotten to where they are today. And it's like, yeah. they're no longer here. And
1: yeah. And so. yeah That was, you know, he was very opinionated about the right way to do a thing. And I'm sure that I know that he had his detractors. There were people who didn't necessarily agree with him and, and sometimes he probably said things that weren't complimentary toward certain breeds. <laughs> you know, he he didn't care for hounds in general. Gotcha. And um, so, I mean, it wasn't. He used to say, "Well, you know, we also had horses." Mm-hmm. And Dad used to say, "The only reason that a person would ride a quarter horse is because they don't know any better." You know, <laughs> so <laughs> quarter horse people don't like to hear stuff like that. No, you know. And I think he would have said the same thing about cur dogs, you know, that um you know leopard dogs or what whatever term you want to use. Um you know, but uh, I'm talking about the old timey general purpose, you know
2: yep.
1: hunting dog or you know, a lot of those dogs in the you know would work stock too back in the day. You know, yep. people did did that kind of thing. But um uh, he uh, you know, he would probably have said well the only reason a person would you know um own or hunt a hound is because they had didn't know there was anything any better you know (laughs) and so i think he tried to develop a better dog Mm -hmm. but what he was really trying to do is to get back to the dog that was you know it wasn't that he was trying to do something entirely new and and the reason that you know that there was a leopard cur instead of just a cur dog. Is that you know the dogs that I think that he found that were of that type, you know, were blue merle. Yeah. And so uh, that became kind of, you know, especially in the early days, that was that was something he was real committed to. Mm-hmm. The rod was, you know, a beautiful example of that type of color. Granted, I've obviously never seen a color
0: photo of him, but seen seen a few photos that were, and you can obviously tell he was a merle dog.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I I don't know. Um, I guess my mom's got it, but uh, at some point, someone had taken a photograph of him and of, of Nimrod, mm-hmm. and had um, traced it he traced his silhouette somehow onto, um, you know, these magnetic signs that people put on their refrigerators. Yeah. That material, that magnetic material is plastic blend with some magnetized stuff. And so this thing had been cut out and then whoever it was had, had hand painted his coloring on that thing. And, um, It's So it's stuck on the side of a file cabinet at my mom's house. And of course, when dad was living, it was there too, you know, for years. And I don't know what she's done with it, but (laughs) I'd love to get hold of it. I need to. Yeah. I'll ask her about it next time. My mom's going to turn 90 in October. Wow. And so uh, she's still kicking and and she trimmed her own shrubbery the other day (laughs) while I mowed her grass. So she's doing good.
0: That's awesome. So how would your dad be? today if he was still alive
1: uh he would he would turn 90 next month okay yeah he his birthday was is july 31st
0: gotcha now what do you know about his old-time farm shepherd project
1: well i've got some of those dogs
0: <laughs> well that's actually kind of how we i found you
1: you know you were you posted yeah, yeah.
0: something in uh I yeah don't know if it was an old time like a an English shepherd group or uh, an old time Scotch collie group. I don't know. Some sort of collie what? farm shepherd group.
1: You know, he's all, he was always interested in those dogs too. You know, dad just is into the hair. He was into the heritage breeds and, mm-hmm. um, you know, he felt like registries had messed up a lot of dogs and he, he viewed registries. I'm going to get to your question in just a minute, but, yeah. uh, it's a good time to make this point. I think daddy, uh, viewed registries as a way of keeping breeding records mm-hmm. and, and nothing more than that. And so, uh, you know, it's too much trouble for an individual to keep his or her own breeding records. So, you know, that's why registries existed is so, you know, when I breed this dog to that dog, you know, 20 years down the road, we can remember what we did. Yeah. <laughs> it needs to be written down somewhere. I just, you mean, know, that's where you get a pedigree from, mm-hmm. but, but registries like, you know, AKC is its own you know, z- disaster as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I think but, most people would agree with you. <laughs> but once you get into, you know, once you get into breed standards, you know, I think breed standards are important because otherwise you don't know what kind of dog you've got. But it's very easy for the registry to start wagging the dog, you know, I mean, <laughs> pun intended. Yeah, you know, for the for the tail to start wagging the dog, the registry is supposed to work with the breeder rather than the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so um, I think that you know, Dad had always been interested in in uh, old time farm shepherds too. I mean, they were as he often said they when he was a boy, they were everywhere. Yeah, everybody had a shepherd dog.
0: Now, you and a, he, he everyone had a, either a cur dog or a shepherd dog. If you look in history, you look in old times. They're all yep. either a cur dog looking dog or they're a shepherd looking dog.
1: Yeah, yeah. And people just call them shepherds. Mm-hmm. You know, or sheepdog. Um, I had a friend over here from Wales who saw uh, from Wales in the UK. Yeah. And um he saw, you know, my dogs and I said, What does that dog look like to you? And he said, Sheepdog <laughs> You know. It was kinda of funny. Um you know, he didn't say border collie or what have you, but uh you know, I don't, there are registries there as well, but by the same token, people just, yeah. you know, I just got back from there, by the way, two of my daughters live over there. And uh, okay. I saw several shepherd looking dogs and uh, I, and on two occasions, I asked uh, people what they were and they said border college, but they, they weren't the um, hyper, you know, um, sort of jazzed up sort of border collie we have here they were they're yeah. more like what we would call an english shepherd in this country okay yeah but dad um when i was a when i was a boy uh i was about 7 years old dad um bought me an english shepherd uh, i guess she, he was ostensibly bought it for me and my sister but but her name was jane and jane became my dog she went everywhere with me, and if I, if I shifted my feet, she moved too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, even back then, he was thinking that uh, English shepherds uh, were probably uh, closer to what he remembered as an old-time farm shepherd when he was a boy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he had networked with some people um, to kind of get back to your question. And, you know, I'm just going randomly here. um he had networked with some people um again through full cry just asking if anyone knew where there were any dogs of that type and um he found some out in tennessee and um went out there and brought three or four puppies back okay and uh, i actually came across some pictures of him sitting there with those puppies at his feet um my best memory is that this was in the late eighties uh when this was taking place. Um, it was about the time that he had quit coon hunting, but he still you know <laughs> wanted to do dog stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and and he was he still had the Camas dogs at that time. Okay. And of course I you know, I went up to Canada with him, uh and to South Texas with him, um, networking with some of those cur dog people from you know, that he had was breeding those dogs with way back then. that was around 1987 or eight, somewhere in that range. Okay. So, yeah, anyway, um, we'll
0: come back to that. So
1: all this was happening about the same time. I think the shepherd project was a little bit later in time than, when he was working with the Canadian and the, and the Texas dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I say Texas, it was right down on the border, you know, around uh, Laredo. That's, that's where those uh, those yellow dogs came from, but um yeah, anyhow, so he met these folks out in Tennessee, and there was a there was a lady who had been breeding shepherds for you know many years, and um you know, I've got that story written clipped out of the full Crop magazine somewhere, but um, she still had a few, and so he actually you know. Bought some vaccine and worm medicine and took it with him and <laughs> vaccinated and wormed the worm puppies when he picked them up. Then <laughs> brought them back to South Carolina and uh, he he, um, he he selected a male out of that group that he called Old Shep that he thought was the sharpest tool in the shed mm-hmm. and um, he was going to was going to work with um, with him and you know try to develop these old time farm shepherds again. Yeah. Um, and he raised two or three litters off a uh, ship. Uh, you know, he had to go out and do an outcross and find some English shepherd females that he thought were representative of, you know, fairly representative of the breed and, uh, or the type of dog he was looking for. Mm-hmm. And um, so he bred to them. There were some pups out of those two or three litters. And then, you know, he was writing about it and, and promoting it as he, that was his style. He liked to promote what he was doing. Um, somebody came and stole the dog right out of from their house. Jeez. Yeah. Never seen again.
2: Hmm. Now
1: I- so that, that kind of, you know, put an end to that thing. But, you know, dog breeders can be a, a jealous lot and very territorial and protective. Oh, yeah. But he, Daddy always thought that he was stolen. Uh, I mean, the, the evidence was that he was stolen. Gotcha. Um,
0: I think I remember reading somewhere that your dad crossed Shep with a leopard. Mm,
1: no, I don't think so.
0: Okay. I thought I had read that somewhere.
1: No, no, I don't believe so. Someone may have said that, but I don't believe that is true. Okay. Things get said sometimes.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I understand <laughs> that. That's
1: what I was asking about. it. Yeah. No, I, he was always looking for other shepherd, other types of shepherd dogs, Gotcha. you know, to to breed to, to Shep. And of course that thing didn't, I think once someone, you know, once Shep disappeared the way he did, it sort of took the wind out of dad's sails about continuing that project. And, and, you know, we were, he and I were getting back into the horses at that time and we went to Alabama and got several and, you know, you only got time to do so many things. Oh yeah, and so um, you know, I, that was, <laughs> we went in the horse direction. I've still got six here now, descendants of those that okay. he and I picked up back in the early nineties.
0: Other than dogs and horses, did your dad ever fool with anything else? As far as you know, livestock or dog or I don't
1: know. No, no, he just he loved he loved dogs and and he loved horses, and and uh, he had his opinions about you know which which were the best he you know he, he was a. if the crowd was going one way he would figure out a way to go in another direction you know <laughs> he he didn't follow the crowd and uh he 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 was always looking for something better than what the crowd had mm-hmm. you know and trying to figure out what that would be gotcha um, so you know we had we, we had the leopard cur dogs, and you know, he called them that, that back in the 60s, and then I think that sort of changed to leopard tree dog because I, some people didn't like the name cur, you know, because of the connotation. Mm-hmm. And, um, I always he always said that people who felt that way did not understand what the term meant, you know, yeah, to say a cur dog didn't necessarily mean that it was a. Worthless dog. It just, you know, the, the term meant something entirely different in the 1800s than it does today.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so, um, you know, so he was interested in the in the in the leopards, uh, and uh, you know, then he um, got connected with um, some folks up in Canada and uh, with some cowboy types down in uh, near Laredo and Alice, Texas in that area down there who had, uh, yellow curves. And, um, so, uh, you know, he, he thought, well, <laughs> let's see if we can do the best, you know, <laughs> we need some new blood here and, you know, let's, let's bridge some of these dogs and see, because he knew that they were, these were serious dog breeders. Both all, all of them were. Yeah. And, uh, so he said, let's do, let's see if we can do a better job. Nice. So, um, uh, That's how that came around, came to be. Oh, and
0: Alan, who uh, had those camus dogs, he was singing their praises, and unfortunately, I don't know of anybody that still has them today.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, unless... Something like that really needs someone who'll promote it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and without... You know, I, I, I think I think you understand what I'm saying here. Oh yeah. I've started a lot of things in my time that did really well as long as I was managing it. Oh yeah. <laughs> but, you know, when I try to turn it over to someone else mm-hmm. <laughs> it didn't do so well exactly. later on. And so I think, you know, you have to have you have to have um other people who will join in and and want to be a part of a thing like that. And of course, you know, compared to the time that he invested in in the leopards in the sixties and seventies, he did not spend a great many years working with the camas dogs. Okay. And that was fairly, fairly short lived, you know, and he was nearing the end of his, his hunting abilities uh, by the time they got into that. So, you know, uh, I mean, when I was a kid, he'd hunt three or four nights a week in the you're in the season.
2: Yeah.
1: I can remember getting up to go to school and he was just coming in and he falling in the Creek or <laughs> something. <laughs> well, un- drop the rifle, you know, unfortunately for your
0: dad, you know, he didn't have these modern conveniences that we do today. I got a Garmin that tells me right where the dog is. And when the dogs where I don't want him, I hit a tone button until he comes back to me. Oh man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, he did, you know, he did have a lot of stuff. Um, I was thinking, um, you know some of the stuff we've done in the past uh at one point he he had a carbide light mm-hmm. um that was the type of light that it burned carbide and uh yep. it uh, it was a it was a mining light really and he used a wore a mining miner's helmet with it yep. and uh you probably you may remember the he at one point he had a big battery that he wore on his hip mm-hmm. and um then he had a little lamp on his head, which was also a coal mining thing. And so, you know, he, those guys had that back in those days. And, and, uh, he, he had a tracking collar, you know, I can remember him having tracking collars. So yeah, if if a dog got lost, he would know where he was, but there was no GPS transmitter.
0: Now, coon, coon hunting <laughs> And, uh, it definitely looks a little different today with the GPS yeah. is the, I mean, well, like even with, uh, like a shock collar or, you know, electronic training collar, whatever you want to call them. It's, right. it's built yeah. right into the same system a lot of times. And then LED lights that are brighter than anything those guys back then could have ever imagined.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's uh much easier to spot a coon in the tree. <laughs> if you've got a, a bright light. Yep. I was telling my wife the other uh, day, she, we saw a by development the name of it was Foxfire and I said, Do you know what Foxfire is? And she said, No. And I said, <laughs> Well, we used to be out coon hunting in the in the woods and we'd shine the light up there and we'd see what looked like a, a coon's eye looking back at us. And uh but it wasn't a coon, it was Foxfire, you know, reflecting that uh reflecting that light. And so, you know, people have, you know, we're getting so sophisticated these days that Yep. People like me who remember what that was like, or I'm sure that it's the same with you, but if you spend a lot of time in the woods, you would. But, you know, the general public doesn't know about these things.
0: <laughs> no. The general public doesn't even know what coon hunting is today. I'm sorry? I said the general public doesn't even know what coon hunting is today.
1: No, no, that's true. In fact, I, I, uh, yeah, that's right. I'm a you know I'm a retired minister so when I tell stories about growing up and I uh, I'll have I'll start to tell some coon hunting story mm-hmm. and then I'll think no I probably shouldn't tell that <laughs> because they won't understand you know they yeah. really <laughs> don't <laughs> don't get it so I'll you know maybe tell a story about a ball game instead they can understand yep. that <laughs> now, I've got a.
0: I've got a preacher from South Carolina up here. He tells some old stories. He grew up in the South, and it's kind of funny because some some of the people y- you can tell some of the stories just don't resonate with some people.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, that that's the truth. I'll I'll tell a story sometimes, and they just get blank stares yep. back. <laughs> we don't even understand those words. Yeah. <laughs> um. You know, I, I I don't know. Let me may I just ask, what's the uh, coon hunting like in your part of the world? Do you still have big woods that? Uh, oh no, that you can hunt in, or is everything fenced and uh, heavily timbered? No.
0: it's kind of rural suburbia. Uh, like you kind of have this patchwork of some farmland still, but then you have these big areas of housing developments and right, where um, it's like, you, or you have like the one the one farm I hunt, it has a housing development that borders it. So it's I yeah. hunt you know in the wintertime when there's no leaves, I can see a whole row of houses
1: from the woods. Oh yeah. Yeah. And uh so it's well that's um unfortunately not you know, like I, the the old It's things. getting harder isn't it to find a place to go. Yes. Yeah. We used to literally when I was a kid <laughs> we'd be going down the road and and you know, it wasn't too unusual for daddy to have dogs in the in the truck, you know. And, of course, I saw somebody going by the other day with a manufactured, you know, aluminum dog box on the back of their truck. And I said, you know, when I was a kid, that didn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> you either had to, you know, build one yourself or have it built, yep. you know. And it was normally built out of plywood. And um, so, yeah, uh, you know, the world's changed a lot. But anyway, um but it wasn't unusual for for Dad to just, you know, see a coon cross the road and drop the tailgate and turn the dogs loose, you know, or oh yeah, you know, and and it, he may or may not know whose land it was, but they people didn't care because normally the coons were eating the you know corn, <laughs> yep. you know, causing damage, and they wanted them caught, and
2: oh, people
1: yeah. trusted each other back then. They didn't think you were up to no good if they heard dogs. They knew what you were doing. If you know, country people would hear a, a pack of dogs working, and they would know what it was. Yep. And you know, but point,
0: a lot of times you knew majority of your neighbors, or even and, and when I say neighbors, I'm talking people within the same county. You know, mm-hmm. you knew everybody. So yeah. Or if you didn't know them, it was like, oh well, that's so and so's cousin. So it's. Well, you, know, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you know, you only one or two people removed from knowing them. So it was like, whatever. Sure. Yeah. Yep. But no, it um, looks a little different today. Uh,
1: yeah. I'm sure it does.
0: The competition hunts are, have gotten bigger. Um, there's hunts that you can literally win a hundred thousand dollars. That there was, there was one. well wow. Last weekend or the weekend before. And, you know, a guy won a hundred thousand dollars first place.
1: Yeah.
0: So, and that's not the first time he's done it with that dog.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Day.
0: Huh. So a dog has won trucks dogs, won uh, probably <laughs> over, f- I don't really know what echoes, w- total winnings are, but I, I would imagine they're over $400,000. That's
1: wild. So.
0: Yeah. Oh, so it's,
1: that's the kind of dog that you want to keep locked up. <laughs> exactly. You know? I've always wondered what somebody would do if they stole a dog like that because you can't take him anywhere. Everybody would recognize the dog, know that he belonged to. Yeah. You know? Exactly. It's like stealing a work of art. You know? You steal the Mona Lisa, who are you going to show it to?
0: Yep. I sit in your basement (laughs)
1: where no one sees it. Ben, I've got something that might be of of some interest to you, and I'll just offer this. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't know whether you've seen this or heard of it. I was down at my mom's a few months ago when we were looking through some of dad's records and you know she pulled out a briefcase that he kept some of his stuff in there was a photo album in there and uh, nothing that would be terribly interesting to you I don't think but there was a guy he was I want to say he was in
2: Indiana or
1: Illinois Um, and dad had gone out there to a hunt and it was some sort of competition hunt. Dad, dad didn't have any dogs in the hunt. He, he just went out there to visit his friends and, you know, talk, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. network. We call it networking today. And, and this guy recorded it, the whole conversation. He, he and dad talked the whole time that they were listening to these dogs work. And, um, that's cool. I think dad knew some of, um, the dogs in the cast. But anyway, um, as they were, uh, as they were listening to the dogs, this guy was also pumping dad for information about, (laughs) you know, some of the things that you've been talking to me about. Yeah. And, um, so, um, He recorded it on a cassette recorder, and then he he transcribed it verbatim uh, on a typewriter. Uh, I couldn't believe the care that he took, you know, to do it. Yeah. And uh, so I found that, and I said, Mom, I I got to have a copy of this. So I I brought it home, and um, I've got it here, and I think I actually have it on a memory stick. If Mm -hmm. I can find it, and you... I think you'd be interested in, in, in reading yeah. it, but basically he just was pumping daddy about, uh, you know, the history of the breed and,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, who he thought the, the some of the same questions you've asked me, some of the most notable dogs, um, you know, and of course, you know, I, one of the things I intended to do today as I was preparing to talk to you tonight was to sit down with that and just review <laughs> some, some things that I thought might help, you know, but I'd be glad, if I can find that, I'd be glad to share it
0: with you. Yeah, I'd love to see that. I
1: think it's good, you know, historical information. Mm-hmm. And it's straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Exactly. That's, you know. Um,
0: there was the 2000, it was the, I just looked at it. I think it's the July 2003 cover of Full Cry. Right? It's a picture of, uh, I think there's 10 people or something, and your dad's one of them. And it's basically all uh-huh. the legends of the eighties
1: ni- and nineties weren't they? Uh, weren't they the writers? Uh, a lot of them the were. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was full Cry had done it and it was a lot of the guys that had, had done the writing and, you mm-hmm. know, I've seen that picture. I, I think I've got that magazine. And, uh, I've tried to talk to
0: a lot of the people or, or like in your case, you know, you know, and also in the case of, uh, Bill Barger, like Bill, passed away a couple of years ago. So I talked to his son, Stacy. So trying to talk to you guys just cause it's like, those were the legends of the, uh, of the Kerr and feist world. And so trying to glean some information on these different Kerr and feist breeds and kind of how they all came about and just the old stories about how it all kind of came together. And so I find it really yeah. interesting. You know, like I said, I'm, yeah, I'm only thirty three years old, so I obviously wasn't around in the sixties, seventies, and eighties. Right, I was a little kid in the nineties, so by the time I kind of got into the dogs, like the internet hip was big, and you know a lot of those guys didn't quite make that jump <laughs> so
1: yeah, yeah, I wish you know I wish Dad was around now to i mean he'd love he wouldn't do any word processing. I'll tell you that. here's here's how he used to write those articles he wrote them in longhand and gave them to my mom and she typed them and sent them to estelle walker at full cry and so (laughs) mom said i typed every one of those articles (laughs) maybe i need to get your mom on
0: here she if she typed them she's probably a walking encyclopedia
1: (laughs) well uh I don't know. It probably went in one there and out the other with her. But uh, she remembers more than she lets on because sometimes I'll say, Mama, what about that dog? And she'll say, well, now I think that dog came from, you know, so and so. (laughs) But, um, you know, there are times she doesn't have any memory of it either. You know, I've actually got one of dad's, um, you know, when I was a kid, I used to love to go to water races with him. Uh, Have you ever done one of those? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, he'd won a bunch of trophies at water races. And to me, that was an exciting thing, you know. And uh, when I'm talking to you, know when I was six, seven, eight years old. Yeah. And uh, so I've got one of his. Uh, I think it's a water race trophy, or it could be a night hunt uh, trophy on my mantle here that he won up in Virginia. Oh, but awesome. that would have been 1961 or two. I was first, or second grade.
0: Yep. Now I've got a I've got a six year and he loves to watch a water race. It's his favorite thing to watch.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that appeals to a little boy, I think. Mm-hmm. Or the little boy and a man <laughs> and a grown man. Yep. Yeah. I'll, I'll be glad to uh, look and see if I can uh, find that. Um, I believe I saved all of that. All of I scanned that uh, transcription yeah. of that conversation. I and it. I loved it because when I went back and read it, it was just like talking to my dad, you know, mm-hmm. I could hear his voice yep. and, uh, so it was a, it was a good thing. And, I uh, imagine if I can find it, I'll, I'm happy to share oh. it with you.
0: I'd love to see it.
1: Now, do you have any more
0: good stories about your dad or in the dogs or, or anything?
1: Um, I would just say this about dad. He just, uh, in terms of stories, I don't know that i have i mean i got tons of stories about him he was he was just i'll say this uh, a couple of different things here he was he was the end of a dying breed of man i think in my opinion i mean he was my dad was a pastor and uh you know that permeated every part of his life you know uh so he was concerned for people and he uh he tried to do the right thing uh But he was also very opinionated, (laughs) and he would say what he thought. And if people didn't like it, well, that was all right too, you know. (laughs) But but he grew up out in the um, in the woods. I mean, literally uh, on the edge of a state forest, and uh, that was thousands and thousands of acres. And he just there were a lot of people in his house when he was a boy, and he um, always liked outdoors better than indoors. And that continued through his life. You know, if if the house is crowded, he just left and stayed in the woods all day, (laughs) you know, unless he had work to do. And, um, so he, so he was, so he was a pastor, but he was also, um, um, an outdoors. You know, my sister used to say that he was like Daniel Boone and Billy Graham rolled into one. (laughs) And, uh, you know, that might be a bit extreme, but that it. there certainly, um, he certainly had, was a woodsman in the true sense of the word. He was just as comfortable down in the swamp when it was 35 degrees and dark as could be, you know, and, uh, trying to, you know, find the dogs that were treed. He was just as comfortable doing that as he would be in the pulpit on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and he could, uh, he had friends from all walks of life. I, you know, some of I, I remember one coon hunting friend of his was a bootlegger and a moonshiner, <laughs> and uh, but he he could also sit down and talk to the president of the university. You know, yep. and uh, and make conversation with him. So he was just uniquely gifted in that way, and he was a great father. I I'm very thankful for him. But tons of stories. I just I don't know how to pick one or <laughs> or, or two to tell you.
0: I I wish uh, I would have been able to talk to him because he sounds like quite the man. That's for sure. Yeah, thank and, you. And that and like I said, and that's from what you've told me, from what Richard Bailey's told me, from what Alan Reeves has told me. So I mean, this is multiple people that have said that he was very very
1: smart, new dog breeding inside and out, and could tell you all about it and I would love to that's have certainly true. that's for sure. Well, I was thinking today, you know, as I was thinking about our call tonight, I was thinking today that um, his memory of where he got a dog and who he got the dog from and who was with him when he got the dog, Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. What, the name of the town in Ohio where he went to pick the dog you know, yeah. or what have you. It was just incredible. Uh it was just you know, he just had a memory that wouldn't quit and I've I've been blessed with some of that, but uh I don't think I'm nearly as sharp as he was in terms of being able to remember chapter and verse and stuff like that. I yeah. wish I wish he was here and I know you do too, uh, to he could he could speak with great specificity Mm -hmm. about some of these things that I you know I I remember them in general but uh yeah no I understand you know he he could certainly do that for you
0: yeah but I do appreciate you taking the time to tell me what you do remember and and talk about your dad
1: I'll tell you what if I send this information to you um you know you're certainly welcome to peruse it and uh if you see things in there you want to talk more about I'd be glad to you know, talks with, with you specifically about some of that stuff.
2: Okay, yeah,
1: you no, know, what I remember about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I was I was busy being a kid and a teenager when some of this stuff was going on. So, you know, <laughs> if I were to, you know, if if I had been a grown man at the time and able to really, you know, focus, uh, probably would have a lot more to offer. But you know, I was a professional, young and yep but, but <laughs> the uh
0: hunting dogs just never quite bit you
1: in, in, oh in terms of uh continuing to breed and so forth yeah no not really i i you know i've I've got my own stuff going on i i i got became a musician when I was a kid and okay. played in rock bands you know when I was a teenager <laughs> um you know that started when I was about thirteen. So that would have been in 1967 or eight. And um, then I majored in music in college and I'm so, and then I, you know, went into ministry. So between my hobby of playing music and my profession, you know, my vocation of, you know, pastoring churches, I just didn't have much time left, you know, for, for hunting. I I loved going with him on occasion, but, uh, you know, (laughs) yeah. Sort of like my dad said about horses, you know, he said, there are a lot of people that want to ride horses. If someone else will, you know, keep the horses and feed the horses and vaccinate the horses and oh, yeah. groom the horses and saddle the horses, They'd be, they're glad to come and ride, yep. but you know. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> yeah, You keep that horse over
0: there, you feed it, I'll come ride. That's
1: fine. Well, that's the way. That's the way it is with dogs. You know, it was with dogs for me. I love to go hunting with Daddy and his dogs, but I wasn't going to keep dogs, you know, because <laughs> I, I had, you know, I had. That's a full-time thing, you know, mm-hmm. really to keep them and work them and keep them in good shape and and all of that. And I had um, I had other things going on. Uh, Take my time, but we are we are raising some um, English shepherds. They're registered English shepherds, but they've got some of the old-time farm shepherds. Dunrobin Old Shep. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So so you know, Old Shep is in their pedigree Mm -hmm. uh, on the on the top side. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah. So we're still we're still sort of my wife and I are still involved in that. We haven't. I I I bred actively uh, actively bred English shepherds for uh, probably fifteen years, but then I got out of it about. Twelve or thirteen years ago, just because my girls were in college and I'd lost my my free help, gotcha. <clears throat> and um, so, but we just picked up a, a new female recently, so I hope to raise a litter or two out yeah. of her.
2: Now, out of curiosity, uh, do you
0: do any herding or hunting with your English shepherds?
1: Um, no, not well. <laughs> Just curious. If if I'm walking in the woods and they see a squirrel, they'll treat it. Okay. You know, but um, I I was talking to a friend, a dog breeding friend in Oklahoma the other day and she said, you need to shoot that squirrel out because <laughs> for the same reason I was telling you earlier. Yep. You know, you don't shoot the coon out or shoot the squirrel out. The dog's not going to, you know, understand really what it is that you want mm-hmm. to do. So, uh, yeah, I was this little female I've got right now, we were walking the other day, and she, all of a sudden she, she's fast. She took off just like she was been shot out of a cannon. And uh, I thought, where is she going? And uh, she ran right up under this big pecan tree. And then I saw she went around on the other side. Here came the squirrel around on this side. You know, nice. <laughs> you know how squirrels will do that yep. thing. You know, with the, whichever side the dogs on, but the squirrels on the other side, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so we uh, we just had a big laugh about that, but uh, yeah. I, so I you know might like be getting into the squirrel hunting here. There you go. Here.
0: Now, <laughs> I feel very much like your dad in in the fact that I've always I don't know the cur dog and the, and the old collie type dogs have always int- intrigued me, and, and I think it's just because I like the like you said, like your dad, that history of those are the dogs that used used to be around, and it wasn't necessarily yeah. like this. Bred a certain way, they were just what everyone had. They were just the -the run-of-the-mill, multi-purpose dog that did everything, and and I don't know why, but that multi-purpose dog that can bring the cows in but can go tree a coon or a squirrel just intrigues me, and that's kind of what has led me to where I'm at and the dogs that I have, and and also just the people that I talk to on this podcast, or sometimes the people that have these versatile dogs that are. Little goofy, like it's not the the normal thing. Because most people are like, "Oh yeah, they're just a coon hunter, or they're you know they're raising just a stock dog," and it's not. And here I am, like talking to people that are using dogs for a little bit of everything.
1: Yeah, I do think dogs, you know, became more specialized over time. and mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there was a time, as you well know, that uh, it wasn't too long ago that um, people wouldn't. I mean, a lot of people couldn't afford economically to support an animal on the farm that wasn't working. Yep. You know, I've heard people say, I'm not going to feed a dog that, you know, is not going to herd or hunt or do something, Mm -hmm. you know? And there wasn't, you know, these days people have pets and, you know, they want to be the dog's mama or, you know, you know, it's like when the kids go off to college and they, you know, we'll get some dogs and they'll be our children now. And, and so, you know, small animal veterinarians are making a killing, and, you know, pe- treating people's dogs and cats. Well, in not too distant history, that would not have happened because oh, yeah. people couldn't afford that. Mm-hmm. You know, if something wasn't producing it, it wasn't going to be fed on the farm. <laughs> yeah. You know, but so, so a general purpose dog that could do all kinds of work you know, was a highly prized thing. Yep. And, uh, and dogs were expected to work uh, where that's no longer the case. Exactly. Uh, And I, I, you know, I mean, you didn't ask me this, but I'm just going, I'll throw this in there Mm -hmm. (laughs) while we're talking. Um, I, you know, people have behavior problems with their dogs and the dogs are anxious and, you know, upset and, you know, they'll, tear up the house, you know, and things like that. As far as I, I believe it's true that in many cases, that's a result of the dog not having a job or a function. You know, why we all want to know why we're here, why it is we're, you know, we're created to do. And, uh, you know, if, if, if the dog just relegated to, you know, being an ornament, Mm -hmm. they may get confused about that. I'm frustrated.
0: And if you look at people that have working dogs that actually give their dog a job, oftentimes those dogs are very well balanced, well mannered
1: dogs. Yeah, and yeah.
0: oftentimes you see these people that have uncontrolled pets. It's because those dogs have all kinds of energy. They have
1: nowhere to let it out. And they
0: have yeah, no yeah. idea what they're supposed to do.
1: <laughs> if you're bred to be a rat terrier and you're not, you know, you, mm-hmm. you're no one will let you chase a rat, you know, (laughs) what are you going (laughs) to do? Exactly. Uh, Ben, thanks a lot, man. Great to, great to talk to you. And, uh, you know, let's stay in touch. Sounds good. Thank you very much. You might want to talk again after I share this stuff. Oh yeah.
0: I I have a feeling there will be a follow up (laughs) to this episode.
1: Okay. All right. Well, take care and, uh,
0: God bless you. Thank you. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at tree talking media and until next time keep them talking in the timber